Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, again, bringing another message out of the book of Revelation as we continue our verse-by-verse study of this wonderful book. Today, for the context, we are once again in Revelation chapter 19. We're still in the section, verses 11 through 16. Uh, I want to finish that up before I touch verse 17 because that gets into a little bit different subject, and I want to handle it carefully and exhaustively. So, if you have a copy of God's Word and would like to follow along, I want to read just a few verses. I've read most of these verses several times, but I want to read them again this time to just give us a fresh context. And it's found in Revelation chapter 19, and I'll begin reading in verse 13. The Word of God says in verse 13, And he is clothed with the robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, as we continue in this verse-by-verse study, we find it uh, uh, very exhaustive almost in in trying to figure out, at least that's what I've been told. So many people just get overwhelmed with this, and they say that they can't even complete the study. I find it amazing that that's true with some people, but they just, I guess, just get lost in it. So I I want to do something as uh, as we get back into this. Uh, from last time, and I, that is mentioned to you uh, that there, you have to comprehend uh, this in, in a certain way. In other words, there is language here that is the expression of reality, and there is language here that is the expression of symbol. And I've mentioned this on the last two messages, but there again, it needs to, we need to be reminded of that because this is a section that is very critical to our understanding of what else happens in the book of Revelation as far as understanding his return and then understanding the kingdom and then heaven uh, after that, the new heaven and the new earth after that. So we have to understand the difference between the reality and the symbol. Of course, that symbol points to a reality, and people ask the question, does this mean, uh, for example, when you read this, uh, like verse 13 or verse 14. Uh, the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Well, does this seem to indicate to us that there are real horses in heaven? And also does it seem to indicate to us that the reason the horses are in heaven And the reason they're returning on white horses carrying their riders is because they have been glorified. I mean, that's how you get to heaven. You receive the glorified body and you're glorified and you are transported to heaven. So is there anything with this? And the answer is no. Uh, uh, Any more than it means that when Jesus comes, he's actually going to have dangling out of his head a whole lot of crowns. uh, off his head of whole lot of crowns, or does, uh, or that when he returns, he actually going to have a a sticking right out of his mouth between his lips, some kind of a sword, uh, because that's that's what it says here. 
Uh, from his mouth, verse 15, comes a sharp sword. Well, is that a literal sword? Does it mean that all who come to him are going to be riding on a myriad of white horses and the horses uh, have been glorified? Well, let me just see if I can explain, I, because I get asked this a lot. Uh, there is nothing to indicate anywhere in Scripture that horses get glorified. There's just not. Uh, and many people take this to mean that, well, there's horses in heaven. There must be all kinds of animals in heaven. In fact, I was told this week dogs are in heaven because they know for a fact their dog is going to heaven. Well, you know, I, I, I can't say that I know dogs are going to go to I've had some pretty sweet dogs. I love dogs, but I don't know that they're going to be in heaven. Uh, there's nothing to indicate that, that to us that horses get glorified, that horses get eternally glorified and go to heaven. This is a, a mixture here of symbol and reality. This is not necessarily actual reality any more than that Jesus Christ, when he sets up his kingdom, is going to roam the earth with a huge iron stick in his hand, hitting people on their skulls with it and keeping them in order. Yet it says he will rule with a rod of iron. So what does that mean if he's not going to carry a little rod stick around and just beat people on the head with it? You have to understand that the symbol or the symbolic language here expresses a reality, but in itself, it is symbolic of that reality. And the symbol here uh, we see is a Roman conqueror, which we've already looked at. Uh, but we see in this section today, we see some interesting information because I'm talking about today who is coming back with, our, with Christ. In other words, who will return with Christ when he comes at this moment that we're reading in Revelation 19? Because we're looking at a, an, an unbelievable moment. And there, there's a couple of unbelievable moments. One is not even going to be noticed by the world, and that is the rapture of the church and I hear that this is a really high week, so to speak, a high probability that the rapture could happen this particular week. And if it does, I won't be meeting you in heaven saying, I told you it was going to happen this week. But if it does happen this week, the world won't miss us probably. Loved ones will miss other loved ones, but they might not even notice a full rapture of the believers of Christ. So, with that in mind, the second great event is going to is the second coming. This is a revelation of Christ, uh, God revealing Jesus Christ to the world. And this is, a, I guess when we read this beginning in verse 11 through at least 16, we need to understand that there are things left out. I've had questions this week from uh, a lot of different sources and different people that are asking questions about timing and things that are going on, and I'm going to try to answer those today. Uh, not that all my, not that I have all the answers, but I have spent a lot of time studying this, and timing on this is very important. And the layout and the uh, chronological order of these things is important. And we don't see it all given to us in this little bit, in these few verses. We just don't see it, everything. Just like when we get to Revelation chapter 20, we're not going to see all the particulars of God's kingdom. All this is given to us in the Word of God. But I'm going to try to bring a lot of that to you. So I want to begin with first, look at verse 13. This is, again, the symbolic language in some ways. It says this, And he is clothed, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
This is describing, again, the return of Jesus Christ. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. What an interesting way to present him. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. This is not the blood that it was shed, uh, his blood on the cross. This is not a picture of redemption. This is a picture of judgment, and that's one thing we have to remember. I think Donald Donald Gray Barnhouse put it so vividly when he says, we need to be reminded here, this is a a judgment picture. And based upon what I read uh, earlier in Isaiah, I think it was last time, Isaiah 63 uh, is a coming king with blood-splattered garments. Jesus is coming with his blood-splattered garment. And that is a... uh, uh, a look at, at, at this is a fulfillment to that. He's coming with blood splattered garment, but the battle uh, hasn't even started. You might ask, well, because at this point in verse thirteen, the uh, battle hasn't really begun and ended until verse seventeen. But I need to remind you, this is not the blood from Armageddon on him. He's already coming to that with blood, and so this is not Jesus' first battle. This is his last battle. He has won his battle, uh, all his battles before, and he has worn his battle clothes many times before. When he fought the dragon, uh, who but uh, he fought with for Israel in the days of Joshua. Uh, who was it but he who fought for the kings of Canaan uh, in the waters of Megiddo? Uh, all the way through, his garments have been splattered with blood for a long time. Uh, you remember when he fought Pharaoh in the triumph in Exodus? The Almighty God was the conqueror who wore uh, his war. As it says, actually in Exodus, he wore war clothes. He had his war clothes on. And his war clothes bear the stains of prior battles. Yeah, th- this, this is not his first battle. Uh, this is not even the battle here being represented. It's the fact that he's coming already equipped for the battle. He's coming already the victor and the conqueror who has battled with sin at the cross and he mingled his own blood with the blood of his enemies on his battle clothes then. Now these battle clothes are to be stained again and the stains now perhaps are far more reaching than ever before. He is to tread the wine press of the wrath of God, blood splattering in every direction uh, because of this judgment. In 2 Thessalonians 1 7, it says this The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming in the fury of judgment to stain his garments again. And then it says again at the end of verse 13, look at what it says in the end of verse 13 of uh, Revelation chapter 19. The very end of verse 13. And his name is called the Word of God. I love that. I love that. I love that. Out of all the verses in this section, this would be one of my favorites. His name is called the Word of God. Just in case there's any question about who this is that is returning or who this is that where John is able to see here, then we know who the Word of God is. In fact, it says, He is the Word of God. Doesn't it remind you of the Gospel of John? For example, John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then a little bit later in John 1, uh, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God. 
so we can see this. In the beginning was that Word. The Word was with God. The Word is God. So all things, according to Colossians, were made by Him. And without Him, not anything that was made was made. The Word of God is none other than the second member of the Trinity. And I know we know that, but John is seeing that. John is confirming this. Remember, he's first called faithful and true, and his promise to return is happening right now, and so it is being confirmed, even as John is seeing that, and it's being confirmed to people on the earth. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But the Word of God is none other than the second member of the Trinity, Christ, the incarnate one who is also the creator. He is the one with the blood on his garments. He is the warrior, the king, and he comes in judgment. So here again, this name is so majestic. Why does God uh, choose to call him the word of God? Well, that's, you know, because he wanted to. That's the first general answer. But second, because he he is the expression of God. He is the, the revelation of God. Listen to Donald Gray Barnhouse. He says, he is the revelation of God. He is the declaration of God. He is the one in whom we hear God speak and see God act. He is the full expression of the mind and will and purpose of God. He is God's word. Word represents that which is communicated. He communicates God. What a great and appropriate name. He is the Word of God. To sum up his names really in a glorious picture, isn't it? it's a beautiful picture. He has a name which no man knew, which expresses his essential deity. He has a name, the Word of God, which expresses his incarnate deity. He has a name, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, which expresses his sovereign deity. And that's not genuine or original to me. That is, I'm actually quoting that from John MacArthur. He has a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which expresses the sovereign deity. And then he says, frankly, the gospel plan is in those three names. He is the God who reveals himself to man and someday will come to reign over the universe. The sum of the names then is the sum of the picture of the conqueror. So the return of the conqueror. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing the return of this conqueror. We're seeing something that is unique here. What a tremendous uh, happening on earth. And the earth will, will not understand this. Now, they will fear this, and they better fear it because of why he's coming. But look at what it says in verse 14. Because this is really the, the thrust of what I wanted to make sure I, I got to today. It says, And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Well, now we've got some armies up there in heaven. Well, we, the, the very first question you would have to ask, because it doesn't say, it just said refers to them as armies, and then it refers to them in heaven, then it refers to them in fine linen, white and clean, and then it refers to them being allowed to follow Christ on white horses. Now, that is amazing. So you would have to ask, who are these? Well, they're clothed like this, white and clean. They're following him. Uh, Who are these? And we would have to say, because of who, where they're coming from, heaven, because of the way they're dressed, because of how it's describing them, and the fact that they're following him, these are glorified troops. I, I think that is very clear, that these are glorified troops or army. 
Well, you get a little hint back in chapter 19, verse 8. You go back just a few verses to verse 8, and it says something here. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then, of course, it said before that, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his, his bride has made herself ready. So the bride is the church as well as the redeemed saints who have been brought together for the great marriage supper to take place in the kingdom. And it says the bride, that is the believers who have been redeemed. And it was given to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. Then it says, for the fine linen is the righteousness or righteous acts of the saints. So in verse 14, it says these armies in heaven were clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who are they? They have to be the saints. They have to be the saints and have to encompass uh, the bride. It has to be the church. I see no other explanation, no other identifiers that would lead me off of the fact that I believe it's the church. Isn't that interesting? Here we are before this event, waiting for the next event to be raptured, and then we're going to see by looking at this and understanding this that not very long from now, we could be coming back with Christ as his church, as uh, white and clean and pure on white horses following Christ at his return. You know, it just doesn't get more exciting than that. So the rapture is now, the raptured church is now going to be the returning church. Uh, as I, I noted earlier, when I talked about this in chapter 19, the tribulation saints are also included here. They've been glorified because you see them in chapter 7 of Revelation, verse 9, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. And in verse 13, they say, who are those in white robes and where did they come from? And John gets his answer and it says, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So you've got the church uh, clothed in white linen, white and clean. You've got the tribulation saints in wonderful robes, robes that have been made pure and clean. And then there's another group uh, that, that we are here. It's the Old Testament saints. Jude tells us those uh, that will be coming back. Daniel writes about that, a resurrection unto life. So you could have the church, the bride, the tribulation saints, and even the Old Testament saints coming with the Lord. And we have to add another group, and that's the angels. Because in Matthew 25, verse 31, it says, when he comes, all the angels come with him. Man, there is going to be a mass exodus out of heaven onto the earth, and it is going to be an unbelievable moment. Imagine just being able to see it. But we're going to not just see it, we're going to participate in it. We are right there in the thick of it. In fact, it says the angels will number 10,000 times 10,000 of angels. Two-thirds of the original number, remember one-third fell with Satan, two-thirds remaining as glorious angels that will be right there with us, all coming back. And so you see, this is going to be a big crowd. It's going to be an amazing scene as they are seen here. But notice what it says. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, in verse 14, were following him. So there's the action. It's actually happening as, as we're reading this. They're coming out of heaven onto the earth. Remember now, the uh, backdrop to all of this is black, darkness. 
<coughs> and yet it's the very Shekinah glory of God that is illuminating the heavens and the earth so that everyone will see. So this army's out of heaven coming with the conqueror. They are none other than the church. And uh, we are coming back for a reason. And 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 2 says, uh, and matches this in Revelation chapter uh, 20, sitting on thrones and reigning. So once the kingdom is established, we rule and we reign in the kingdom. Now I will have a, a tremendous amount to give you once we get to Revelation chapter 20 as we look at the, the reigning of what we will do, what, what our jobs will be, how we will be participating in that. But this is the, the beginning of it. The actual beginning is when we are raptured out and then we get, plan to participate in the marriage uh, supper of the Lamb. Uh, but that's after the reward seat. This is after the, the, uh, the reward seat time, the, the reward time that will happen just before that. And so it's going to be an amazing time. So we see the return, and we see uh, who's coming with him, and then briefly look at what happens in verse 15. After we return with him, verse 15, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, he will rule them with a rod of iron. Here's all that imagery, that uh, symbolic talk that we, we gave you a while ago. He will tread the winepress with the fierce wrath of the Almighty God. Now, the rule of the king is depicted in, in boy, graphic terms. You see the return, uh, and now the rule, and out of his mouth comes a, a sharp sword. It is a symbol of slaying power. And John sees that sword before, back in chapter 1, he says, saw it. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, a two-edged sword. In that particular vision, that sword was defining sword to defend the church against the onslaught of Satan and his powers. But here, it is a sword of judgment. That is what we're seeing here. It is a flaming sword of death. It is a sword out of his mouth because it speaks and it is done. The whole thing is over in seconds. Death dealing power in his words. Amazing uh, to, to look at this. Death dealing power in his words. Uh, where once he spoke comfort, he now speaks death. That's what we're seeing here. It's hard to relate to this as, as, as happening uh, but it, it is going to happen. Now, I can't imagine being a believer at the return of Christ on earth and seeing this scene. Man, that will, that will drop you flat on your face. You probably couldn't even handle it. But one who spoke comfort, one who spoke peace is now speaking death. And though the saints, as I said, return with Christ to reign and rule, they are not the executor, executors. Uh, we are not those who carry out the vengeance. That is his task. We're just with him. The angels may help in the gathering process, but he treads the wine press alone. John writes, for this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He carries a sword. He alone uses it. He treads the wine press. The angels assist in the mop up, and we're in the kingdom. So it, we don't have anything to do with that, but we're there. Now, we don't see any weapons here, by the way. Uh, by the way, of any, there are not weapons in Christ's hands. There's not weapons in our hands. Surely the angels are not carrying any weapons. None of the saints who come with him have any weapons. The word is enough coming from his mouth. That is why I said it is death-dealing power in his words or judgment in his words. He says in Isaiah 11.4, he will smite 
the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Verse 15, with a sword he will smite the nations. Israel has already been purged at this point. The elect out of Israel has been redeemed. They will be preserved into the kingdom. The rest of the world he will slaughter in an instant in his own word. Then he will set up his kingdom. Now, I want to answer an, ask and answer a question that I've been asked several times this week and several weeks ago even. What about when he comes back? Now listen to the question. Are there going to be any saved people who have lived through the tribulation period and they're standing right there or they're gathered there to witness this return? They're with Christ during this return. Will the regenerated Gentiles be there, for example? And I think it becomes very clear the more you understand chronologically all the events of the second coming all the way through to the end of the kingdom age, that there's a lot not given to us right here in Revelation. Not that they skipped it, but God did not choose to give it to us here. He gave it to us in other places. Well, let me answer the question. There are people who will be saved and are saved and are standing right there. And we're going to look at this next week. This will be the purpose of next week to identify these and to tell you why they're going to be there. He's not going to kill them. He's going to let them go directly into the kingdom. And through that kingdom, he will rule the, uh, the nations with the rod of iron. Well, what does that mean? It means instantaneous judgment. It means swift punishment. Chapter 12, verse 5, the male child who is Christ will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And, of course, we're going to take a closer look at that as we get to that section or explaining that again when we get up to Revelation chapter 20. Now, remember Psalm, 10, chapter, uh, Psalm 2 is the promise that the Messiah would come and that he would break the nation with the rod of iron. And what that means is instant, swift, righteous judgment will be characteristic of the rule and the reign of Christ. Now, again, I ask this because of symbolism here. Does that mean he carries a rod, stick, and hits people? A swift justice? No, it does not mean that. It does mean instantaneous, swift, righteous judgment will be characteristic of the rule of Jesus Christ when he comes. His judgment will be sure. It will be swift, unyielding, absolute sovereignty, uh, immediate justice with severity. That is the way John MacArthur puts it. It's going to be a very different world than it is today where there's so much rampant injustice and inequality. God will establish the law. Christ will execute the, lies, the, the, the law. Justice will be absolute, sovereign, and instantaneous, and severe. All will be required to conform to that law or be judged. And I, I believe it happens just like that. We, we've got the... I've got a whole message just about to bring on that from uh, Ezekiel, and I can't wait to get there. But that's not covered here, so I'm not going to cover it here. And, of course, we will participate at that point in the judging uh, process. In fact, it says in Revelation 2.26, To him overcome, I will give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. And so we will get on with the ruling process. He does the execution. We help with the ruling. Now, I don't know how... To explain that at this point, we'll just have to look at that later. Uh, the angels do the mop-up after the execution. Then John gives a further description of his judgment by saying he treads the winepress. Uh, in fact, look how he says it. He, that, uh, he smite the nations. He treads the winepress with the fierce wrath of the word of God. Now, he comes in fury. 
And th this is the way it's describing it. The, that comment relates to his fury and his wrath. He crushes the grapes in his wrath, a very vivid symbol of judgment. In ancient times, they would stomp on the grapes and they would squash and, and the, the, the grape juice would spurt everywhere. That kind of vivid bursting he's talking about in relation to the blood of the people who have gathered to fight him at the battle of Armageddon. That's how vivid this is. So he comes in fury and he comes in judgment and he tramples in an instant all the ungodly. And out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus comes the sentencing, the execution, and that puts him in a position to be king of kings, the Lord of lords, and it is written on his robe and on his thigh, indeed his, on his name. And, 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 but look at that. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. No, he is the authority. God doesn't ask permission. He gives permission. He is the sovereign God over all. He is the one ruling here. He identifies, he is identified in John's image as having a banner that sweeps across and goes down on his thigh, and it shows that he is the ultimate sovereign. He is the ultimately, he is the one, he is king. That is amazing. So all the enemies are gone. The slaughter is fearful, frightening. It's a terrible thing, but mercy is there. Grace spurred, reaches this point, and when he uh, came the first time, they would have preferred a murderer over him. They killed him, killing the prince of life, as the book of Acts says. Uh, they openly blaspheme God. They become more and more wicked as time goes on. Finally, in the end, their wickedness reaches irredeemable proportions, and the ex executor comes back to execute. The picture is clear and unmistakable. What a picture this is. The psalmist saw this, and uh, it is an amazing... In fact, you know, I've never really realized how vivid Psalm 2 is. I challenge you to read Psalm 2. You will find it absolutely amazing in reference to all that is here. He saw it so clear that he was going to come with a rod of iron. It says this in verse 11, or verse 10 of Psalm 2. Now, therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. And I love this. Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. That's Psalm 2. I challenge you to read that. And you'll see how much of Psalm 2 is actually being relived <coughs> or is the total fulfillment here in Revelation chapter 19, verses 13 through 16. Well, this is all that I can get to today. Next time we're going to look and begin in verse 17, looking at a great supper, another supper. One supper has already taken place, and then the second supper that you don't want to be at. Uh, you, at least you, you better hope you're not at that second supper and because it's going to be uh, uh, not a very good supper. So, I thank you again. Once again, this is William Rogers, and uh, you've been listening to a verse-by-verse -verse message out of the book of Revelation, uh, this time on Who Returns with Christ. And uh, thank you again for joining me, and we'll see you next time.